This podcast is about introducing our fans to the animals, plants, and other products that we work with at Josh's Frogs. It's an opportunity to paint a picture of our hobby that is refreshing. We want you guys to be successful with the animals that you're keeping, and we want our hobby to grow ethically and sustainably into the future. Welcome to the Josh's Frogs podcast. I've got Phil. We're going to talk about uh, vampire crabs today. But before we do that, I just want to do a commercial. This uh, podcast is brought to you by Josh's Frogs. Uh, we're your one-stop shop uh, for all things uh, for your reptile and amphibians, from the feeder insects to the bioactive supplies to the caging to the lighting, all that kind of stuff. We sell uh, from one location, so you can save some money by getting it all shipped together. Um, we have a industry-leading live arrival guarantee, not just on our animals, but on our insects as well. Then we have all the blogs, articles, and videos to help you take care of those animals uh, that you love. Um, so check us out, joshesfrogs.com. Uh, we'd love to to help you uh, take better care of your animals. So got Phil with me. We're going to talk about vampire crabs. But before we talk about them, tell us a little bit about how you started working here at Josh's Frogs and give us a rundown of like what are some of the things that you do here. So I saw a job listing for Josh's Frogs right before the pandemic started, and it was something I'd always wanted to get into is like our hobby, of course. Mm -hmm. So I applied and I was hired a week later, uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. So that had some difficulty getting in. But once we started, it was uh, off to a great start. And since then, I've overseen our microfauna program and done all of our like legal arthropod interactions. So any of our uh, bug legalities or permits or any of that kind of stuff is handled. And then I oversee the crabs, isopods, millipedes, and springtails. Cool, cool. So pretend you're talking to our uncles and aunts who don't know anything about keeping um, uh, pets or anything like that. Give us a rundown. Like, what are you doing on a day-to-day -day basis? What are, what are some of the tasks that you're doing? Like, give us some of those. Uh, mixing dirt, feeding all of the animals for sure. So like throwing uh, food just into dirt piles, which sounds like the weirdest thing, but when everything we have lives in the dirt, it's just kind of how it goes. Um, misting usually once a week. Uh, other than that, not too much. A lot of the temp controlled rooms does a lot of the work for us. Cool. Cool. Talk to me a little bit about the, it's not on the list of questions I gave you, but talk a little bit about the permit process. Like what's your involvement in that? Like how are you, what, what are you doing on a regular basis for that? So, so Basically, anytime we want to ship a arthropod or an insect out of Josh's frogs, we try to make sure we are doing so legally in all of the contiguous 48 United States. So we will have to go through and look at each individual arthropod, find out if any states have any regulations, uh, submit a permit to the USDA, which could include hours of work because you have to individually add every state and everywhere you might want it to go. And then once that's submitted, it could be weeks to months until you get a response to find out if it's accurate or if you need to make an edit. So it's all of that back and forth and making sure we're uh, totally compliant with any of the laws. Cool, cool, cool. We'll have to do a separate podcast totally on the permit yeah, yeah. process at one time. So, all right, tell me a little bit about vampire crabs. Like, describe what they look like and all that kind of stuff. What are they? So they are all sorts of colorful little semi-aquatic land crabs from Southeast Asia. So these guys are... A variety of colors they could be any color under the sun and they're just as unique as dart frogs there's easily just as many like thousands of species of these out in the wild um as far as like care for them 
Yeah, let's talk about physically first. Like, how how big are they, and what what's the kind of the the color? Why are they called vampire crabs? I so most of the species are going to be somewhere between like a quarter to a half dollar size as an adult uh, with their leg span. They can spread out really wide, but they tend to not. Um, I'm sorry, I totally lost where I was headed with that. Claws. Oh, talk, yeah. talk about uh, why are they called vampire crabs? So they're called vampire crabs because back when they were first discovered, they all had uh, the original species all had super bright yellow eyes, which matched up with like old timey movies, like mm-hmm. vampire movies, where they yep. all had bright yellow eyes. So the name just kind of stuck from then on. And more species have been discovered since then, but they all have similarly bright eyes. And then they'll have the really bright, colorful, like massive claws that they use for displays and territorial disputes and oh, all cool. of that. Cool, cool. Um, talk to you to us about feeding. Like, what are, what are you feeding these uh, types of uh, so crabs? So these guys are a scavenging omnivore, so they're going to eat a little bit of everything. So mm. they're going to eat fresh fruits and veggies and dried fr- uh, fruits and vegetable products, uh, some fish foods, live shrimp, snails, uh, insects like crickets. A little bit of everything. We try to change it up every time to make sure they're healthy. That's cool that it's got such a variety of oh, yeah. uh, food sources. So talk to a little bit about how we take care of them. Like how are we setting them up and then how that might be different if somebody was setting them up in their house, how, how that would be different. So we set them up pretty simply. We try to keep their land segment uh, as free of substrate as possible uh, because they are burrowers in nature. And for us to be able to interact with them and make sure that they're doing well and everything, we try to make sure they have really shallow substrate. Whereas uh, typically you would want them to have like two to three inches of substrate and two to three inches of water in their enclosure. And that's, you're going to want to do that like a 80-20 land to water uh, because most people will think that these guys are all land or all water and they need a little bit of both to survive well. Now talk about cage sizing. How, how big are you uh, putting them in and, and how densely are you uh, populating those uh, cages? So when we're breeding them here in the warehouse, we're going to keep uh, groups of like three to five, usually one male and a bunch of females in like an 18-18 cube. Um, but generally at home in a well-set-up terrarium, you could easily keep three to five in like a 10 to 20 gallon style. Cool, cool. So that's pretty dense when you're talking about uh, animals of that size. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Now, how is keeping babies different than keeping adults? Like, are there any differences that way? Yeah, so when the babies are born, it's typically during a very low moon phase, so there's very little light outside. So they're actually born transparent to help them blend in and camouflage so that they can avoid predation. Uh, and so they spend a lot of their time in the water when they're juveniles because they're going through concurrent molts very frequently. And they're going up in size very quickly because by the time the moon is fully bright again, they want to be about half their adult size and usually fully colored up wow. so that they're ready to go. Now, give us a time frame. How, long, how quickly is that happening? That could happen in anywhere from like probably 14 to 30 days where they're getting up to about the size of a dime on their body and they're developing a lot of their adult coloration. Cool. And then how long after that? What's the average life expectancy of uh, some of these crabs? Uh, They're going to mature in about three to four months after that. So at about six or seven months age. And then they're going to live for about two to three years with females definitely living longer than males. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, Now, you talked a little bit about land and you talked a little bit about water. Like, are these saltwater crabs? Are they freshwater crabs? Freshwater. Okay. So totally freshwater. And then as uh, for treating their water, we're going to use like shrimp salts. So we want to make sure the mineral content is really high for them because they're in areas where there's a lot of water going through like limestone and through a lot of dense jungle foliage. So it's collecting a lot of nutrients and minerals on its way to them. Cool. Can you talk a little bit about dosing? Like where do I get this salt and how, how do I do all that kind of stuff? Uh, any general pet store will carry shrimp salt these days because the aquatic hobby is blown up and these guys are definitely a part of that. 
Um, and dosing is going to be the same as like your typical recommended dose. So for most of them, it's usually about a tablespoon for 10 gallons. Cool. Cool. Now you talked a little bit about substrate depth, anything else that you're putting inside the uh, terrarium for, for them? Yeah. So they're going to have a variety of live plants, uh, because they tend to form their burrows at the base of plants in the root systems. Mm. So we try to use uh, shallow rooting plants like bromeliads and cryptanthus to give them areas that have a lot of cover, but don't have a lot of root. So if we do have to get in there and dig them out, it's easy to do so and replace it. <laughs> and then, um, the water section will always have sand in it. They need like one to two inches of sand in their water so that when they're molting, they're able to put their legs underneath the sand and that's how they pull out of their molt. Oh, interesting. That's yeah. really cool. And uh, talk about frequency of molting. Like how often are they, you said at the, as babies are molting quite frequently, how does that change throughout their uh, adult life? So it varies drastically individual to individual, uh, we've noticed. It's not a very kind of regular thing like it would be with arachnids where you can kind of count on it to happen around a certain time um, when they're babies it could be anywhere from every other day to every other week um, they generally take one to seven days between their first like four molts uh -huh. and then after that it's usually 30 to 40 days between molts wow wow and then uh similar to other animals when they come out of that molt are they they acting a little bit differently or or what, what are, do we have to change their care when they were freshly molted how we just have to be a little careful with them because yeah. they're going to be a little soft. Um, so when they come out of their shells, it takes time for that to harden. So they usually spend about an hour in the water making sure that everything's working. You'll see them kind of articulate all of their moving parts huh. and make sure everything's attached well. And then <laughs> Shake their arms and yeah. legs out, yeah. <laughs> and then they'll spend some time out of the water to actually dry and harden that shell. And you can kind of tell over time because their color will go from a pastel and kind of return to normal as they harden. Interesting, interesting. Any issues with them being in groups when they're molting? Are they, they affecting each other? Are they, they generally or anything like that? seem to be uh, pretty docile when it comes to being together. I wouldn't recommend keeping males together in uh -huh. most capacities because they do tend to have like territorial disputes. Yep. And if one were molting, that could become an issue. But in our experience uh, over the last year, we've not seen anything like that. Cool. Cool. Now talk a little bit about breeding. Like how do you, do you set them up for breeding? Do you need to do anything different to get them to breed? How do, how do you guys do that? So we generally are going to want to feed them a lot more. So instead of feeding them every other day or every two to three days, like we would typically just depending on the food item and what's left over when they're finished at the end of the day, uh, we'll feed them pretty much every day and make sure we're replacing that. So it's not fouling and making sure everybody's getting a lot of weight on. Cause you'll notice they'll pick up quite a bit of weight kind of in their body area, uh, especially when it gets close to mating, the females will look very puffy underneath. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, almost kind of swollen. And uh, when they molt the next time, they'll be ready to mate. So you can kind of tell once they're looking puffy and then they get pale, usually the male sneak off and find them and they'll have a little encounter. Uh -huh. And then after she hardens up, it'll be about 40 days. They uh, have ovivivipary, so they'll actually hatch those eggs inside of the ova and then while they're little crabs, they'll stay in that underneath section for probably the first week most often. Are they visible at that point? They are say? visible. Okay, so, so most of the time it's so swollen that they cannot keep – I hate to call it like a hatch, but they're uh, – <laughs> like the hatch that does close off all of their organs uh, to the outside is so full of babies they can't keep it closed. <laughs> so usually you can see them peeking through and you'll oh see gosh. little eye stalks and arms and legs sticking out. <laughs> That's awesome. And then when is when do they when does she let go of them? Like she's generally going to let go of them and we still haven't figured out quite how they know this, but when the moon's visibility is low, so when it gets to less than 25% illumination, they will let all the babies go free. Um even if we've had light on them overnight, they'll still do it because some somehow they just know. 
Really? That is insane. Wow. That's cool. So you find that across our, our population that, yep. that you have multiple females laying all at the same time then? At that, Basically, yeah. yeah. So we can, we can set like a date range where it'll be below 25%. It's usually three to four days. And we can be like, okay, we expect babies in these three to four days. Somebody's going to have babies. It might not be everybody, but there's usually one, two species at that particular cycle that have. That's crazy. That's crazy. All right. Talk a little bit about temps and humidities. I know they have a water portion. Is it, are you guys misting? Like, how do you guys manage the temps and humidity for them? So for the most part, because that water is super shallow, we're not going to do any misting because we're going to keep like a sponge filter, like a micro sponge filter in there just to make sure the water is getting circulated. So we don't have like protein yep. buildup in that. Um, and with that, there's usually a lot of splashing going on. <laughs> so they get plenty of kind of misting going on for the most part as is. The only kind of misting you would want to do would be like supplementally for plants uh, because also with the way that they're set up with the land and water section, it's very easy for that land section to be super saturated and muddy, which yeah. they don't mind one yep. bit. So with the substrate staying damp like that, what kind of substrate mix are you guys using with them? What do you guys recommend? So we're using a kind of a modified ABG. It's a mix of like a ABG with a little bit of sand and a little bit of clay in there to give it a little more structure so that when they do, do uh, dig those burrows and that really, really moist substrate, it's not going to collapse on it. Oh, all. cool. 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 All right. What do you, what do most people get wrong or what, what's the difficult parts about keeping these? What are the things that people need to keep in mind as they're keeping these uh, to, to be more successful with them? I think a lot of people still get that kind of conception that it's either like a water crab or that it's a land crab and there's like no in between and they're definitely like totally in between. And if they have just one or the other, they're not going to fare well. Mm -hmm. um, but also just to, you know, take your time with it and definitely do the research and make sure that you're looking at your particular species because they're going to vary a little bit. Yep. Uh, there's so many different hundreds of species out there and they're all going to live in very different, unique little microbiomes. Yep. Um, and also keep in mind that they're just as likely to drown as they are to dry out. Like too wet and too dry are both a problem with these yep. guys. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about the different types of vampire crabs. Like what are the different types that are in the hobby right now and how do you tell them apart? That kind of stuff. So there's generally going to be like the main group of vampire crabs, which are larger from like Thailand and those kind of areas where it's actually continental Southeast Asia, where there's a lot of dwarf species out on the islands like Java and hmm. Indonesia and just around all these different islands. And in the hobby right now, there's uh, very few species that come in, I would say maybe a dozen or two. And out of those, it's pretty infrequent that they're inconsistently because they're all wild caught. Yeah. They're barely ever uh, captive bred. And so with that, there's just so much variety. You never really know what's going to come in and if it's going to or not. Yeah. Yeah. And getting the sex ratios right. Too, that too. Yeah. In. Yeah. That way. Now we're doing captive breeding on yes. all of these guys. Yes. So everything that we sell is going to be captive bred. Talked about the differences. What's it mean that I bought something captive bred versus I bought something wild caught? What would be some things that I should keep in mind when I'm talking about that? So the main difference is you, you would get this guy at probably like a third the size, but then you're going to have him for three times the time. Mm. So typically when you're looking at getting in like wild caught uh, vampire crabs, you're looking at sluggish, nearly dead adults that were easier to catch, super bright, large, vibrant yeah. So it's what caught the collector's attention, right? Yeah. Now, when that comes into the hobby, that usually means they've got six to eight months to live, mm -hmm. which doesn't bode very well as a pet yep. for most people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Cool. All right, anything else you want to tell us about uh, vampire crabs that we haven't covered so far? Anything that, that sticks out that we should uh, cover before we do this lightning round? 
Uh, temp and humidity, super easy. It's going to be mid 70s to low 80s on the temperature. And then their humidity is going to want to be around 65 to 75%. There's a lot of sources that'll say higher out there. But in our experience, like I said earlier, it is really easy for them to drown in humidity, which you wouldn't yeah. expect. Interesting. Now, you talked a little bit about lighting. Do they need any special type of lighting? Do they need lighting at all? How do so they do not need UVB lighting. Um, we just provide them with full spectrum plant like LED lights just to make sure the plants grow. Um, and they will participate in like a day night cycle because they're crepuscular. So they're going to be active at dusk and dawn. So having some sort of light over them is going to be the best. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes we forget about that with, uh, with, uh, invertebrates where we're like, oh, they don't really need a light, but right. like that really dictates behavior and feeding and, and knowing if it's the middle of the day versus the middle of the night. So it's oh, yeah. very wise to do that. Cool. All right. Thanks for dropping some wisdom on vampire crabs. Um, I'm really proud of the, the ways in which we've been able to captive breed those, um, and supply a hobby with captive bred animals that not only don't uh, impact wild populations, but provide a better experience uh, for people keeping them. So that's really cool. I'm uh, proud of what you guys um, have done that way. So Thank you. let's move on to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you these questions. Give me the first thing that comes to your mind. If you are like, nothing's coming to my mind, we'll just say pass. Okay. We'll go on to the next one. All right. If money and space were no issue, what is your dream pet that you would keep? Oh, it wouldn't just be one. It'd, <laughs> it'd be a, like probably a 10,000 gallon <laughs> aquarium that would be like a Orinoco River Basin biotope. No, really? none of the big fish, no arapaimas, no electric eels, all of the micro predators. There's so many hundreds of species of them that would be so cool to look at. And now, how do you set up a river biome in a tank that big? You're going to have to have like a, a center or something and go around the outside? I, I would think like a, maybe like a sheer bank on one side and then like little outcropping so that there's cool. lots of little micro habitats. That's cool. On. That's really cool. 10,000 gallons. All right. Besides Josh's frogs, what's one other brand in our hobby or one other breeder in our hobby that's uh, producing quality animals or quality products? Who do you who do you want to give a shout out to? Oh, the Hagen Group. Cool. I love a lot of their products. We use a lot of their products for like raising the crabs, um, and I think they're making a lot of really big steps to kind of change the aquatic hobby in the same way we want to change the uh, exotics hobby. That's cool. That's cool. All right. What was your first pet that you had? An anole. A green anole. I wanted at a fairground when I th I think I was seven or eight. Wow. And we quickly found out that that $1 anole was not a $1 <laughs> pet. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. In all the world, what is your favorite animal or plant? What's the, what's the, the coolest thing that you think in, on our planet? That one's too hard for me. I have to pass that. I think they're all kind of unique in their own cool. way. Cool. Cool. All right. What did you want to be when you were a kid? When you were I wanted over? to work in this hobby. I really? wanted to own a really big pet store. Uh, when I was younger and kind of had unrealistic thoughts, <laughs> I always thought like a Walmart-sized fish store would oh be super gosh, cool. Oh my gosh, that would be cool. A lot of water changes. Oh yes. <laughs> All right. Um, you have a free hour. You can do anything you want. What are you doing during that hour? What, what are you doing with your, your free hour? Uh, probably watching a documentary. So a lot of the time I spend my free time just kind of learning because I, I like acquiring knowledge. I think that's a big part of like animals especially is just kind of doing the research and finding out what else is out there and coming to conclusions if there aren't any. That's cool. That's cool. That's cool. All right. If you had a bunch of people listening to you, you had everybody's ear, what is one thing that you would tell people like, hey, you know, I want to remind you of this or hey, I I've learned this. What would you say to people if you had their ear? Do your research. Just make sure you do your research. Take the time, take the extra step to do the research before you jump into things. It makes it 10 times easier every time. Cool. 
Cool. Thank you for sharing, uh, Phil, your wisdom, not only on the crabs, but in life in general. Um, if you guys watch any of our uh, lives or follow us on social media, you'll see Phil's face on there. <laughs> or um, a lot of times, a lot of the shows that we go to, Phil does a, a fair amount of our shows. Uh, but then he's also part of some of our blogs and our videos as well, too. So you'll see him um, around on our uh, different channels. So uh, make sure you... Uh, react to some of the stuff that he does and, and check it out so thanks a lot phil thank you and thank you guys thank you for tuning in to today's episode if you enjoy this content and want to stay up to date make sure to like subscribe and follow us across social media we always want to bring you the best content so let us know if you, what you think in the comments and for all your reptile and amphibian needs be sure to check us out at joshesfrogs.com we have an amazing selection until next time stay curious stay froggy and keep exploring